0: Here is Pastor Micaiah.
1: Father, we come with grateful hearts, grateful for the fact that you do want to meet with us, that you want us to draw near to you, that your word tells us that if we will draw close to you, you'll draw close to us. Your word tells us to come boldly to your throne that we may obtain help in time of need. And so, Father, we come to you, needing you, wanting you, desiring you. And we find that in your presence, the problem that we brought to you no longer matters because in your presence, that's all we want. We just want more of you. And the problems and the difficulties and the struggles, they pale in comparison to the goodness Being in your presence. And may we right now get a taste of what heaven might be like. And may we sense your presence. We pray that you would continue to move in these next few moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming tonight two of our revival. If you have a copy of God's word, would you turn with me to the book of Joshua? We're going to go to the book of Joshua. And yesterday I heard just so many great reports of just how God began to move and what he began to do. And so it's a privilege to be able to uh, be here and I want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here. But one of the things I want to turn our attention to that last night, the focus was really on confessing sin. That was last night's focus. We saw an illustration of that. We saw the entire message was uh, when it comes to revival, when God wanted to move in our hearts, when God wants to work, there can't be any unconfessed sin. We can't we can't come to God, and that was what is we've been seeing. Psalms twenty four: that who may ascend into the hill of God, he that has a pure heart and clean hands. So understand that. When we go through revival, many people, they say, Oh, I want revival, and I just want God to bless me and just kind of meet with me and just kind of show up in my life, but I don't want to ever deal with any of the junk that I've allowed in my life. And God's saying, No, that's not how it happens. You need to deal with the sin that's in our life, and we need to come to God so that we can say, Lord, I want to have that sin dealt with so that we can have God move. So last night, if the theme was all about confessing sin, In the second phase to have revival, even though there's no necessary recipe to revival, there's no magic formula, but when it comes to revival, I want you to understand this. The second part is consecration. And I know it's a word that maybe you've heard if you grew up in the church, consecration, but it's one that when we come, when we start thinking about it, it's one that we often forget that that's vital to what God wants to do in our life. And when we hear that word, some of us, we think about what does that word even mean, consecration? Because when it comes to consecration, the whole idea of consecration is this that we are to be set apart and dedicated to a sacred work. And that's what Christians were supposed to be about. We were supposed to be a group of people that didn't just confess sin, but yet we were different, we were consecrated to God. And all throughout the Old Testament, you would see that phrase. You would see that they would consecrate the clothes that they would wear. You would see that they would consecrate the instruments they would use to offer sacrifice. And then we even see that uh, we would we would see that they would even consecrate their children. Say, "Hey, Lord, I want to make sure my child is offered to you, dedicated to you." But what happens is nowadays. When it comes to revival, where churches want revival, we just want all the blessings of God. We just want God to just pour out all his goodness. But yet, we don't ever want to actually take a look in the mirror and say, God, let me peel back the layers and let's deal with what's in here. And God's saying, hey, I want to abide with you. I want to meet with you. I want to to pour out my presence, but I can't until this is dealt with. Last night as I was flying over, coming back, I was flying the same time our service was going on. And I was leaving from Dallas flying. And they said, we're going to fly over New Mexico. We're going to fly over Arizona. We're going to come into California. And it was interesting. as I would just be able to look out of the window. And I was just thinking and praying and meditating on what God wanted to do and what he was doing here. And you could look down as the clouds would kind of part every few few hundred miles or so. And you could look down. And we're 30,000 feet up. And every once in a while, you'd see a small little light down on the ground. And sometimes you might even see a few lights together. Not a large city, maybe just a small little town or uh, just a little group of people. And I thought, I'm way up here and I'm able to see all that's going down there. I'm able to see all of it. I've got this bird's eye view. And all of a sudden, down there, I'm sure there's problems in that town. I'm sure there's issues. I'm sure there's frustrations. I'm sure there's heartache. But way up here, I can't see any of it. I'm above it. And all of a sudden, I was thinking, that's God's view of my world. God is flying above it. But then I begin to pray and say, God, I don't want you to just to fly above everything I'm going through. I want you to fill everything I'm going through. What does it take to get God to, from here to come down Here. What is it going to take for the church to finally experience God leaving and coming down and meeting with us? Now, I know we say, well, I have Jesus Christ inside my heart. That's absolutely correct. Yes. But yet, what is it going to take where God moves in, and we don't have to manufacture anything. We don't have to manipulate anything. All of a sudden, you come into his presence, and you know, I need to change who I am. I need to change what I do, and I need to move in from that. And that's what I begin to pray. I begin to pray, God, would that, would you come down? And so that's what revival is all about. It's God coming down. But to do that, we have to consecrate ourselves. Philip Brooks, a a famous pastor of days gone by, said, it does not take great men to do great things. It takes consecrated men. It doesn't take great men to do great things. It takes consecrated men. And today, as we look in the church, and especially as you see about special meetings, it kind of seems like we're always just trying to build one another up instead of understanding, wait, I need to be consecrated. I need to be set apart. And now, when you use this term consecrated, that has this idea that it's completely set apart you only use it for special occasions for those special things maybe you grew up in a household that had fine china my parents they had a set of fine china when jane and i were going to get married we went to uh, bed bath and beyond and we were doing the bridal registry and the lady helping us she said now you guys definitely going to want some fine china and i was like i'm not having to pay for it i'll scan it sure whatever And so you just go around scanning all this fine china, and then you see a little bill. Now, of course, you're not going to pay. It's whoever wants to buy it for you. You scanned it. And then I saw the price tag of what fine china, and all of a sudden I realized why people stop using fine china. It's very expensive. But it had a special purpose, So whenever company would come over, whenever there was a holiday, there was the fine china. Now, you didn't take that fine china and throw it in the microwave with some leftover spaghetti and just let it tear up those plates. No, no, you didn't do that because my mom's fine china was hand-painted, and it had gold lined uh, uh, on the the fine china. And so whenever it came to use, the fine china, she was like, no, 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 Micaiah, you can have a paper plate. Everybody else will get some fine china because she knew I might— use it for something that it was not intended see god says that you are to be consecrated but but then think about then why do we use our bodies and use our lives and things that don't honor and please him if we're consecrated that means there are certain things that i do not do not because i feel like i'm better but because no i'm consecrated to god i'm consecrated for his purpose you see there needs to be two great days in the life of every believer Two great days. And if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. The first great day in your life should be the day of your conversion. That's the first great day that everyone in this room, my prayer is that you would not leave tonight without making sure that you've been converted. You've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Everybody needs that first day of conversion. But the second great day of every Christian is the day of their consecration. The day that they said, I am done living for myself I am now wholly consecrated in all my thoughts all my desires in everything that I do it's wholly consecrated to God there was a man who worked in Chicago and he was burdened for a greater touch of God a greater filling of the spirit and he went to Dublin and in Dublin he met a pastor who was preaching excuse me he was an evangelist And the evangelist, his name was Henry Varley. And Henry Varley was preaching in Dublin. And he said this statement. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. Well, back in that time, to cross the seas, you would cross by ocean liner. And that man who heard that preacher, his name was Dwight Lyman Moody. And he said, as I began to make my voyage across the Atlantic back to Chicago, it seemed like everywhere I went, God was writing the word consecrated everywhere. He said, as I would look down at the steps, all as I saw was the word consecrated on the floorboards of the ship. He said, when I got back to Chicago and I looked at the cobblestone streets, it seemed that every stone had the same word and it said consecrated. So D.L. Moody said, and he changed that quote, he said, the world has yet to see what God will do through a man who is wholly consecrated to him. And then he added this little phrase. He said this, he said, by God's help, I will be that man. You know, God is waiting for a man or a woman who will say, I am fully consecrated to God. All my motives, all my desires, everything I think, everything I feel, everything I do is consecrated to God. We live in a world where many Christians, we talk about consecration, but then we go back to living however we please and whatever suits our mood and whatever we feel like. But understand, consecration is an unconditional surrender. That's what consecration is. It's an unconditional surrender, which leads to total victory. It's almost a paradox that as I surrender to God, I receive the greatest victory, that I'm fully surrendered to him. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Joshua chapter three? And we're going to see this played out in this passage. Joshua chapter three. Notice if you would, verse number one. The Bible says, then Joshua rose up early in the morning and he had all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to Jordan and the Lord and they lodged there before they crossed. And the end of three days, the officers went throughout the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant, the Lord, your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I love this because when it comes to Joshua... He's telling the people to consecrate themselves. This was a ceremonial cleansing. They were to wash their clothing. They were to... uh cleaned their uh, bodies, they were to go and get bathed, they were to clean their clothes. It was a way to say, I am clean from the inside out, that I'm now set apart, because this crossing was to signify that the the wandering in the wilderness, the life in Egypt is past. They're going to cross over the Jordan River, and they're going to cross into the promised land, which is to start their new life. You see, God wants to start a new life in you. You see, consecration is a sign of a new beginning. God wants to bring about a new beginning. The reason we have a revival is because God wants to bring in something new, but you have to consecrate yourself today. Tonight is all about you making the decision that, yes, I want to walk in the new that God has for me, but I first must consecrate myself. I first must make the decision that I am totally surrendered to God. And when it comes to a total surrender to God, it's not something that, hey, come Monday morning, I want to take back. Hey, come the opportunity to do what I know is wrong, yeah, I give in. No, this is a total surrender that we're talking about. This is something where we say, God, I am consecrating myself to you. And Joshua commanded the people to consecrate yourselves. And notice, Joshua doesn't leave it open for discussion. He commands it. He says, everybody. We're going to consecrate ourselves because we want to see God do wonders. And I believe our church wants to see God do wonders, not just in our church, but also in our lives, in our families. We want to see God move. And God says, hey, you want to see me move? It starts with consecration. It starts with you setting yourself apart. It starts with you actually seeing yourself in a different light. You see, many of you say, hey, I would never give myself to the devil. No, but you certainly loan yourself out to him enough. Where it's time where we say, hey, I'm done loaning myself out to the devil. It's time that I say, you know, I'm consecrated to God, devil. I'm all his. I'm 100% his. You get nothing. There's no room for you. It's only God and me. He has all of me. But how many Christians, we are so easy at giving up parts of ourselves. So understand this. Joshua commanded them to be consecrated. Consecration doesn't come with conditions. You say, what do you mean conditions? I think there's a lot of people that say, God, I'll follow you. But they do exactly what some uh, almost disciples did to Jesus. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. But before I follow you, let me first, I bought some oxen and I need to go test them. And when I've tested them, let me come back and then I'll follow you. And then God says, no, 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 that doesn't work. Another said, hey, I've had a family member pass away and let me first go bury him. And then I'll follow you. And then Jesus makes a profound statement. He says, no man, having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is worthy of the kingdom. But yet we live in a day and age where we're not living Christian life forward. We're living the Christian life like this, trying to follow God. And God says it doesn't work that way. God says, no man looking back. And how many of us are like uh, when it comes to Lot's wife, as she looked back at the city of Sodom, Gomorrah, was turned into a pillar of salt. You say, why did God destroy her? It wasn't that because she was looking back. That's not why God destroyed her. It wasn't that she looked back. Is that she wanted to be back. Her heart was still in Sodom. Her heart loved Sodom. Her heart didn't want to give up Sodom. The Bible says the angels grabbed Lot, his wife, and his two daughters and dragged them out of the city. So she was hanging on to Sodom with all she could. And God's like, I'm trying to save you. God has been trying to drag some of you out of Sodom. He's been trying to drag you out of some things. And you are not allowing God to consecrate your life where you're saying, no, I'm surrendered, God. I'm going to let go. I'm going to follow you completely. And this is why we need revival. Because some of us are so hung up and caught up in all these frivolous things and all these things. And many of them are downright just maybe not out and out sinful, but they're distractions are the things that are keeping you from wholly following God. And God is saying, hey, I want your attention. You're converted, but are you consecrated? And you say, well, at the moment of salvation, both happen. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. Because consecration is your decision to say, yes, I've received you. But God, I've gotten all of you, but you haven't gotten all of me. Consecration is me giving all of me back to God. You see, God already gave all of him to you, but have you given all of you back to him? You see, that's the problem. There's a whole lot of people that are fine with taking all of God, but they don't want to give anything back to him. They won't even give up three days for a revival meeting. They won't even give up uh, going to church on Sunday. They won't even give up a little bit of time in his word as he wrote his love story to them. They won't even give a little bit of time. They won't give a little bit of time at the altar to confess the sins that are holding them back, that are weighing them down. They won't even confess that. They won't even deal with that you see there needs to be some people that say you know what god yes that's right you've given me all of you there's nothing read the gospels what did jesus say if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more your father which is in heaven god's not holding out on you you're holding out on him and let's be honest about it the church in america has been so obsessed for the last 3 decades with attracting people attracting programs with attracting all these things we've stopped to we haven't even stopped to ask ourselves this one question do we attract god you see everybody's welcome in the church but it seems that god isn't And there's a whole lot of churches that are filled with people that are like, hey, as long as you're making me feel good, as long as you're not rocking my boat, as long as you're not convicting my sin, as long as you're not stepping on my toes, as long as you're not pointing that book in my face, as long as you're making me feel affirmed and making me feel comfortable in my sinful lifestyle, and as long as you never touch on the subject of consecration, you can fill that church. So we've got church buildings that aren't empty. They're packed, filled with people. And it's pointless because they're never willing to say i'm consecrated to god and understand this D.L. moody had it right The world has yet to see What god can do through a man wholly Consecrated to him The world has yet to see God is still waiting on somebody to say i'll be consecrated Yeah, is that what you want god? I'll give you all of me I'm, not going to hold anything back You see what we do though is we say god. Yes consecration, but here are my conditions my conditions are this, I like to get out on the boat every Sunday, so guess what, Sundays don't work for me. So I gotta, you gotta move around church and work for me. You know what, hold on, hold on God, this, this, this whole thing about living holy, that, that condition doesn't work for me. I'll be consecrated, but you want me to live holy? I don't think that works for me. Oh God, you you, you want me to be consecrated, but yet you want me to be loving to my unloving family members, no, I don't think I can do that. God, you want me to be an evangelist, to spread the gospel? No, no, I don't think I can do that. Then stop playing games with God and saying you're consecrated. You see, there used to be a day and age where we understood what it meant that I'm surrendered to God. When we sang the old invitation song, I surrender all. You see, we brought these conditions. Joshua didn't allow them to bring conditions. You see, Joshua didn't open it up for discussion. You see, con- consecration is an unconditional surrender which leads to total victory. True consecration simplifies life for it leads all the choices up to God. That's what consecration does. You see, it'll simplify your life because now you're saying, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to date? Who do you want me to marry? What job do you want me to take? Should I go there? Should I do this? Should I move here? Should I do that? Should I spend this? Should I eat this? Should I drink that? Should I smoke this? Should I sleep with them? Not what, what God, what should I do? Because that's what consecration does. It takes care of a whole lot of questions that I'm amazed at how many Christians will ask me, hey, is this right? Is this right? And I'm saying, you're asking the wrong person. How about we ask God in heaven and see what he has to say? Because I actually think you're not really wanting advice. You're wanting approval. And I guarantee there's a two-bit pastor that will give you approval for your carnal, backslidden, sinful lifestyle. You can find them. You can find them. I guarantee you can find them. You see, when it comes to consecration, we are relinquishing ownership. I once bought a car, and then I had to get the title from the person. They had to sign over the title. You know what the title is? That says, who owns it? Have you ever handed over the title of your life to God? God. Have you ever said, God, here's the title to my life? And when God gets the title to your life, it's exactly what Brother Oscar said. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We're no longer ours. We're all the Lord's. But yet how many times we feel entitled. We feel entitled that that person didn't treat me right. That person didn't do this. That person should have done this. And we feel all this entitlement instead of understanding that we've relinquished ownership. But in this passage of Joshua chapter number 5, this is the passage of them crossing over Egypt, uh, crossing out of Egypt and into the promised land. And what they're doing, this is going to be two chapters of the Bible. And if we were to fast forward ahead to chapter number 5, we see that they've crossed over. And then as soon as they've crossed over, God tells Joshua to do something. Notice if you would, Joshua 5, verse 2 and 3, it says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourselves flint knives, and circumcised again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at the city. All of a sudden, this passage gets very uncomfortable. I cringe for them, but also for what he's saying here. You see, because they had consecrated themselves... They were now willing to say, all right, whatever God asks of me, I'll do. No matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult, no matter how inconvenient, no matter how uncomfortable, No matter what God is asking of me to do, I will do it. And here they've crossed over. They've consecrated themselves, which is a total surrender to God. And all of a sudden God says, okay, now that you're consecrated, let's get circumcised. Let's take this and take this next step. And understand that when you say I'm consecrated to God, you are now giving God consent on your life. That God has carte blanche on your life. And this is where a lot of Christians say, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. Because God may call me to do something I'm not fully comfortable with. There's an old hymn we used to sing. It was called, Take My Life and Let It Be by Francis Havergal. And in the hymn that reads, Take My Life and Let It Be, consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at Thy impulse, at Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thy own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord. I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself. And I will be ever only all for thee. We used to sing those hymns. We don't sing those hymns anymore because nobody wants to hear about consecration. Nobody wants to hear a message that, oh, I do have to give up everything to God because we are Americans, self-made. We have that good old American pride. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to control me. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. And then God says, No, I am going to tell you what to do. And yet, how many people say, No, you're not God? And they run from God. And they are living what I call Proverbs 29 He that hardens his neck will be utterly destroyed. There's those people that just, <clears throat> I'm going to harden my neck against God. I'm just going to get all stiff-necked. It's where you harden up your neck and you just get all, all I'm going to go against God. I will show you. And we've forgotten what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, when it comes to consecration, that is you giving God your consent to say, Lord, my life is not my own. It is yours. You see, you are a living sacrifice, but it's not enough to be a living sacrifice. You must also be a willing sacrifice, and that's where we have a problem, isn't it? Nobody wants to die to themselves. We call the front of this the altar. We get this term from the temple, the tabernacle they would have an altar do you know what they would do at the altar they would kill something and it would die there after the service or during the service when we say do you want to come to the altar what we are saying is what are you going to bring to die is your pride going to die here is your strong will going to die here is your lust going to die here is your jealousy going to die here is your anger, your temper going to die here? Your greed going to die here? What are you going to leave here? Because the altar is not something, oh, I just want to be seen of people. No, this is where you say, I'm coming to die, actually. This is where I'm laying it all here, and I'm, I'm crucifying the flesh. I'm, I'm killing it. I'm consecrated to God. These things cannot be a part of my life. Because I want God to use me and I want to see God's blessing. But so many of us, we want God's blessing, but we don't ever want to have to be broken or burdened or bothered to do anything for the blessing. We just think that God just kind of doles them out because we somehow magically maybe deserve it. Instead of understanding that, no, my life is consecrated, I'm set apart to God, and I'm going to be a living sacrifice imagine if they would have skipped out on this imagine the children of Israel you see it would have been easy to skip out on this whole little circumcision thing it's like hey you want me to take a bath change my clothes Josh I'm good with that what are you doing with that flint knife there buddy it's just Josh just you know just you know hey get a little bit nervous all of a sudden Josh couldn't find any of his friends they're all taken off hey Josh we just crossed over and do you know what they were going to do three days later they were going to go attack Jericho. Wisdom says, don't get a major surgery, and then go to battle the next day, especially for a man. Just (laughs) not a good idea. But here, Joshua said, we got to pay a price to receive the promise that God has. And they said, we'll pay that price. You see, I'm trying to be not as graphic, but then in the New Testament, Jesus even says, and circumcise the foreskin of your heart. He's saying there's part that your heart can get hard before me, and you've got to come raw, and you've got to come clean before God. And so here Joshua is saying, hey guys, we're going to pay a price because we want to have God's promises. The church today is guilty of never paying a price. We don't want to pay a price to receive from God. We don't want to labor in travail over prayer and brokenness to see our lost loved ones and friends one for Christ. We think that we can, in a life group, send a little prayer request. Hey, pray for my lost little friends. I pray that they would not spend eternity in a horrible place called hell. So pray for that. I don't think you actually believe in hell if that's how easily nonchalant you could just pray that your friends wouldn't go there. Where are the Christians that will get at the altar and say, I'm consecrated to God, which means I will pay a price. if That means that that will keep that person out of going to hell for all eternity. I'm willing to pay a price to fight for the woman I'm married. I'm willing to pay a price for the children that I have that the devil will not get this next generation. I'm willing to pay a price that the church will not go down like the church has gone down in Europe, the church is almost non existent. Europe was the place that was the world sending, they sent missionaries all over the world. It was where some of our greats came from. Whitfield came from, your great speakers, our great evangelists. It's where the Bible was written and sent over to us so we could have it in English. And yet nowadays you can go to Europe and it's a wasteland of Christianity. The churches there are dying and America is not far behind. But yet we think. That we can give God our spare time, spare change, and change the world. It's time that we wake up and we say, God, I need to pay a price. And I'm consecrated to you. So that means whatever the price is, I'm willing to pay. Where did Joshua learn to pay a price? He learned it from Moses. Because after Moses came down with the tablets of stone where God had just written the Ten Commandments, he gets down and he hears what he and Joshua think is Uh, army attacking the children of israel comes to find out they're having this wild sinful party down there and moses takes and breaks the tablets and then he goes up to god and says god to save this people i am willing for you to blot out my name out of the lamb's book of life he's praying lord i'm willing to go to hell for these people that was the price moses was willing to pay Paul later echoes Moses. And Paul says, I wish myself a cursed, a cursed meaning that I did not know Jesus. So if that's what it would take to save these people, what are you willing to do? You see, as Christians, we love reading about people that are willing to make a sacrifice that are as long as it's not us. But God is calling the church to sacrifice. God is calling the church to say, you want the promise, then you must pay the price. Every generation pays a price. What's happened is we've gone generation after generation that says, I don't wanna pay a price. I wanna pack out the church, so what do I gotta do? So I know churches that put full bars in their lobby and give away free alcohol just to pack the church. You say, you're making this up, pastor. No, 2017, fastest growing church in America was in Cornerstone, it's in Ohio. That church brags about having their own IPA on tap. Come on through. You don't have to have coffee in the morning. You can go get a beer in the morning. And I'm not here to preach against alcohol. I'm just saying, I don't think that that's what we should be replacing the Holy Spirit with, that we've got the latest IPA. We've got the latest cold one. I want to see what a church can do when they say, we just want God. We want to see Him move. We don't care about all the trimmings. We will not going to make anything up. We just want to see what happens when God shows up in our midst. If we have a great worship team, praise the Lord. If we don't, praise the Lord. If we have a great student ministry, praise the Lord. If we don't have a great student ministry, praise the Lord. If we've got great programs, praise the Lord. If we don't, praise the Lord. But the one thing the church must have, we must have the power of God we must have the Holy Spirit moving ruling and reigning in our midst but God is flying over churches like I flew over states last night and he's looking down and he's saying does nobody want me does nobody want me to come down does nobody want me to meet with them Because we know that if God comes down, he's like that guest, that unexpected guest that knocks on your door at your house and says, hey, I just came into town. I need a place to stay. And you're like, my house ain't ready. I got a clean house. Hey, kids, throw everything into the the closet there. Hey, somebody check that restroom. I know it's bad. Hey, somebody go get the the kitchen, check it. Hey, is there any ants or bugs crawling around? Deal with that. Because we know when God shows up that he's going to shine the light in our lives. And he's going to say, how long has this been here? He's going to open up our laptops and do a little history search. He's going to look into our heart, look on our social media feeds, looking at what you've been feeding yourself on. You haven't been feeding yourself on the word. You've been feeding yourself on the world. And isn't it amazing they call it a feed? And how many of us are just feeding on that stuff? We're more depressed. We're more broken. We're more distraught. You know, there's only two industries in this world that calls their customers users. That's the drug industry and the social media industry. There's only two industries that call you a user. The same guys that'll sell heroin and crack cocaine to kids on the street same people make more money than you and I could possibly imagine they're like we're just using you and hear God saying I want to come down and the church is like we're good without you look at what we can do without you isn't it amazing what the church can do without God shouldn't it just rip out our heart that we know that that's not God That you can see things that are happening. You can see that they're following people who have blatant, gross, immoral sin. And they're following that as their shepherd. And nobody's crying out saying, this is wrong. When the church is not consumed with a passion for holiness, instead we are all about happiness. That's the byword of the church today. When's the last time you heard a sermon about personal holiness? Because I guarantee you've heard several this year about how to be happy. How to be healthy, how to be emotionally healthy, mentally healthy. How about if we just dealt with holiness? That if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Folks, these scriptures that these men read is not an accident. I'm praying that God would take that word and it would burn into our heart tonight. That we would not be able to rest. We would not be able to sleep because we are so consumed by the fact that we are not a holy people. We do not have clean hands. Our heart is filthy. And we say, dear God, have mercy on me. For I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of impure thoughts. God, please cleanse me. Altars should be filled with people crying out to God saying, I'm unworthy. Altars should be filled with people. Churches should be filled with people who say, I don't deserve anything good that God gives me. I don't deserve anything. But yet so often, we're this living sacrifice that's not willing. You see, before you chose to live for God, he chose to die for you. Think about that. He chose to die for you long before you ever decided to live for him. But yet here we are. consecration. I don't know about that. You know, consecration is also conforming to the image of Christ. Same chapter, chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? If you have a pen or you have a Bible, would you take that word worshiped and circle it or underline it? You say, Why is this so important? Because the same word is dog. Do you know that? Same word as dog. Like, how many of you own a dog? Let me see your hands. I own a dog, you own a dog. It's the same word. Because when you get home, what does your dog do? Your dog just thinks you're God. It really does. It's like, this guy gives me food. This guy's amazing. Your cat, on the other hand, thinks it's God. Like, just, you know that already. But it has this idea like a dog will just bow down at the feet. That's what Joshua did. He prostrated, but he fell down. He said, I need to be like that. I'm going to worship that. We worship what we want to be like. And he said, I want to worship you because I want to be like you. But yet, what do we worship? Growing up, I was never allowed to have a poster of any sports or actor or anybody or a musician on my wall because my parents said, we're not going to let you worship that. You can worship God, but you can't worship any of that. And I grew up in the early 90s. Michael Jordan was what it was all about. And if you didn't have a Jordan poster in your room, you were just a loser. And I was like, Mom, Dad, I need Jordan. I need Air Jordan. Come on, I need him in my room. And they were like, you need Jesus in your room. That's who you need. That's all you need in your room. But yet we live in a culture that we worship at the altar of our latest investments and our latest innovations and the latest tech company. We worship at what political character. We worship at all these things. And God is saying, you know you're going to become like what you behold. So what are you beholding? What are you staring at? And you just can't wait to have it. And God says, you are becoming that. Your heart is being drawn to that. So this is why we are told to look richly and deeply at the face of Jesus, to have our eyes fixed on him. You see, the Bible even says in Romans 8, we love to quote Romans eight twenty eight, that all things work together for good. But we stop at verse 29, which says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestined. The word predestined means that God planned it. He said, I planned this, that you would be conformed to the image of his son. God said, I want to push you into mold. You see, we read in Romans 12, verse 2, where it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. You see, let me use a really cheesy pastor joke. Not even a joke. You see, there's a mold that the world's trying to push you into. The devil's trying to push you into mold. And if you let the devil push you into his mold, you're going to be moldy. It's cheesy, I know. I know it's bad. I know it is. But it's true, isn't it? That the devil's pushing us into his mold. You've worked with your children to play play and they have little molds you can push things into. You see, the devil is pushing us into its mold, its molds of thinking. I'm amazed at what Christians today actually think is acceptable. I'll have conversation, and I'll say, hey, that is not God's mold. That's the devil's mold where you got that thinking, and I can show it to you from the Bible, but then they go back, but yeah, no, I'm going to stick with this mold. Your your thinking is moldy then. It's it's corrupted. It's rotten. You see, we want to be conformed to the image of God, and God tells us how to be conformed. He points us to this. You see, As we follow, then we understand that we're to be conformed to his image. See, when we follow him, we're like Joshua. We follow God completely, and then we will see ourselves correctly. Lastly, write this down. The mark of a Christian is not perfection, but consecration. The mark of a Christian is not perfection. It's consecration. That should be what marks us. Nobody expects you to be perfect, but consecration should be on our heart. But maybe you're thinking tonight, I don't know the difference what, what difference will it make if I consecrate myself? It's a good question. I'll share a story with you about a man by the name of William Borden. William Borden was born in 1887. He was born into the borden Dairy uh, family which they still had their dairy company. He was multimillionaire. Uh, at at age eighteen, he went to an Ivy League school. He went to Yale, and at Yale, he he graduated there, and then went on to Princeton Seminary. And his parents, when he graduated from high school, gave him as a gift. They said, "Hey, we're going to send you on a cruise around the world." As he went around the world, God began to grip his heart with the need of the lost people, specifically that there were Muslims in China, and he had a specific burden to reach the Muslims in China. And so all. Three throughout his college he said I'm going to be a missionary and everybody said to him that you're wasting your life you are the heir to the Borden dairy powerhouse financially you're going to have it all you were born with the silver spoon but that wasn't enough for William Borden you see William Borden believed that God had called him to be a missionary so William Borden decided I'm going to go to the mission field and he goes to the mission field at age 25 and he makes it to Cairo Egypt And in Cairo, Egypt, he's there for one month and dies at 25. And many of us would think here was a man that had all of his life ahead of him, had all the financial wealth, he had everything that money or anything your heart could desire, but yet, and then he gives it all away to be a missionary, and then he doesn't even make it to the mission field. What a waste! Yeah, pastor, I don't want to do that. I I don't want to consecrate my life and end up like William Borden, dead in Cairo. But that's not the rest of the story. You see, he had a friend right before he set sail who said, you are throwing your life away, William. And so William opened up the flyleaf at the back of his Bible, and he wrote a word, two words, no reserves in his Bible. Later on, his father came to him and said, Son, I don't want you to be a missionary. Instead, I'm willing to hand over the entire company to you. Like I said today, you can look. They're still around today, still worth millions today. And even with that offer, he then said, not only no reserves, he opened up his Bible again and wrote another two words. He wrote, no retreats. And then his family, when they heard of his death because of contracting meningitis, they sailed over to collect his body. And when they found him, they found his Bible and they opened his Bible. And before he passed, he wrote another two words in his Bible. You see, first he said, no reserves, no retreats. And then shortly before he passed, he wrote two more words no regrets. No regrets. He said, I gave my whole life to God and I have no regrets. He was the missionary who never made it to the mission field. He was the man who never converted one Muslim Chinese man or woman. He was the the one who had a passion to take the gospel to China, who never made it even close. And we would say, God, why would you even allow that to happen? Because William Borden is the most influential missionary that never made it to the mission field. Because there are thousands of missionaries who said, after hearing that story, I was inspired to take the place of William Borden. That I was inspired that I would go because William couldn't go. And there are countless thousands of missionaries that he started. As a matter of fact, shortly after news reached the States, 500 missionaries stepped up and said, we will go to China for William. 500. You see, your impact when you're consecrated, it may not be felt right away. You may feel like, man, my husband, my wife, my family, my children, my brothers and sisters, they don't even agree. They don't even think this is right. But understand, we can't look through the eyes of this earth. We have to look through the eyes of eternity. We need that flyover where we could see it all. And we say, God, give me that perspective. Help me to see that consecrating my life is what it's all about. But instead, the reason why we have a hard time consecrating ourselves, to be set apart, to be exclusive, and this is the whole title of the message, because just like companies have a conflict of interest, Christians have a conflict of interest. The only reason you will not be consecrated to God is because you have a conflict of interest. You love this world more than you love anything else. You love sin more than you love the Savior. The only reason a Christian does not consecrate himself is a conflict of interest. That they have a greater interest in the things of this world than the things of heaven. We have an interest problem, and you and I both know it. We all know it. Theaters are closed. Bars are closed. Clubs are closed. Stores are closed. The church is having a revival, but yet people will still sit at home and complain that there's nothing to watch, even though there's a revival going on. What do we have? A conflict of interest. That I would rather sit at home and watch trash on TV instead of meet with God's people and hear from heaven. It's a conflict of interest, and it's a battle you and I are going to fight for the rest of our life. You have a conflict of interest. It's a conflict of interest that there are people that they can give their lives for the gospel, but yet we can't even go and tell somebody across the street about Jesus. Are we not consecrated? It's a conflict of interest that you say, no, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm not going to that club. I'm not giving my life away. I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to live for God. But today, it's a conflict of interest. And it is a conflict. There's a struggle. There's a battle for the interest of your heart. And what sadly is many of you are okay that God loses that battle. That the God who sent His Son Jesus to die for you, you're like, nah, you didn't win. The little... Angel and little devil on my shoulder, the devil won. And I partied and I drank and I got wasted and I lived for the devil and I got a tattoo. No regrets. Regrets. Regret whatever. You've seen it. And that's the way we live life. We think it's funny, only it's not funny, is it? Only it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to know that you and I, we can drive downtown and their streets are lined with people, that they made one bad decision that turned into another, that now they're homeless, they're drug addicts, they have all kinds of problems. We could go down in the fact that Americans' prison system is filled. Isn't it a problem that we can fill a church and prisons at the same time? Does that not bother anybody else? That if we're filling churches, you would think the prisons would be empty because we got everybody in church. But that Christians are comfortable, that we can meet in a nice air-conditioned room. That we could just be here and we understand that there's the plight of all humanity. But yet there's not people that are saying, I'm willing to consecrate myself. I'm willing to get uncomfortable. I'm willing for God to just shake my world up. See, we need some more people like Bill Borden who will say, you know what? Yes. I'm not just a living sacrifice. I'm a willing sacrifice. With head bowed and eyes closed, would you please stand to your feet? All across the room, we want to have a... One attitude, one spirit. Where we say, you know what? I've never made that, that second day. I've I, I made the first day of conversion. I'm, I'm converted, pastor. I'm a Christian. I'm a blood-bought child of God. I know I'm saved, but I've never made that second day. That second day of consecration. So today, Saturday, October 24th, 2020. This is your day where you write in the fly leaf of your Bible. Today I'm consecrated. Today I give my whole life to God. I'm totally surrendered. And in total surrender, I see the ultimate victory. Because we will never have the revival that God wants to send without first confession of sin and without consecration of self. Yesterday was confession of sin. Today is consecration of self. You want to go on a revival? Those are the steps. Let's pray. God, heaven, the Father, we need you. Lord, I can't put pressure, I can't convert anybody, I can't change anybody, I can't do nothing. But your Holy Spirit, if you're here, you're present, and I believe you are, I know you are, I pray that you would put the convicting power of your Holy Spirit on each and every heart. That we know that we need to consecrate ourselves. That we have a conflict of interest, and we need to come back to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to open up this altar. And as the altar is open, the worship team will sing one more song. So what are you going to bring to the altar that you're going to have come and die? So right now, we're going to open up the altar and you come. This is your moment. So good. We don't deserve all the blessings. We don't deserve your presence. But, Father, you come into this place. You've met with us. You spoke with us. And so, Father, we just are a needy people that just need to hear from heaven. And I pray that you would continue to start a new set of values in our life, to change us, to be conformed in your image, continue to work in us, even long after the service. Maybe this evening you're going to wake us up in the middle of the night and you're going to commune and speak with us. Maybe the first thing tomorrow morning that you're just going to want to arrest our attention. All of a sudden, the morning news or the newspaper or the social media of the feed, it it pales when we get a glimpse of how good you are. All of a sudden, we just want you. So Father, I pray that we would truly understand how good, wonderful you are. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, this has been just an amazing night together. We're about to be dismissed in just a moment. But if you still need time, if you say, hey, I'm just going to stay in this room, then we've got time. We're not not trying to rush anything. There's something special about when we can just come into a place and just hear from God and clear the calendar. And, And I've never been so, it just wrecks you when you come into the place where you know the atmosphere is primed with the presence of God where there's a church people and I heard from so many who are fasting during the day and you never thought you could fast and 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 Jane jokingly said the food was gone last night like gone and I was like man that's good that's a good thing that means a lot of people were fasting that means people are understanding that they're hungry for God that's what we need can I tell you this church I want to see citywide revival I want to see God move but I am discovering here's what I'm discovering That if only I get revival, man, I'm good. Man, I'm good. Like I want to see it go everywhere. I want everybody to get what I'm getting. But if y'all don't get what I'm getting, that's on you. That's all on you because what I'm getting is good. What I am getting is awesome. What God is doing, He's wrecking me. We got a we got a Bible study that's been praying for our church in Texas ever since yesterday. And this church just overwhelmed me today. I got an email from their pastor. And you do not want to miss tomorrow night because I got to show you what they sent to me. And I'm trying not to give it away. But you do not want to miss what this church in Texas has done. I, we don't even know these people. Never met them. They just heard about us. You say, why? How did they hear about us? Because y'all took a stand on Easter and said, we're going to have a drive-in church service. And the police showed up and shut us down. And all the things that went wrong. And they said, hey, you guys made the news. We heard about it. And all of a sudden, we're praying for you guys. And so Do not miss do not miss. I think sometimes we just don't understand all that God wants to do. And tomorrow night we're also going to have a baptism. There are people that are getting baptized. There are people that are saying, I'm going public with their faith. If you have not been baptized, you say, I want to go public with my faith. Then tomorrow night you say, what do I got to do? Nothing. We have everything. We got we have kits that have everything you need to get baptized. We'll have it all ready for you. You show up. Tomorrow night we got food trucks after the service. And tomorrow night there'll be a, a, a clear gospel presentation. So if you have lost friends and coworkers, say, hey, let me buy you dinner and just trick them into coming to church. <laughs> say, hey, I'm gonna get you, let's go, let's go get some food trucks. They don't know what you're about to do. They're like, yeah, you gotta wait for two hours, but it'll be there. And I want to preach to them about Jesus and how he died on a cross for them and how he could save them. I want to see God take what he is doing here personally and make it go citywide. We want to see it. We want to pray that way. And we've been seeing that. Well, we're about to be dismissed. I'm going to pray for the meal. And then, if you would, exit out these doors right here. And we're going to go into the factory. And as long as you could stick around, there's 80 pounds of some pulled pork stuff or something chicken, pulled chicken. It's barbecue sauce. It's got barbecue sauce on it, all right? It's all good, all right? There's 80 pounds of it, and so there's plenty. There's salad. There's all kinds of food, so please help yourself, but if you have children and rich kids, would you please pick them up first, then bring them over, and if you have time, if you can stick around, we would love for you to stick around and fellowship. Let me pray for our meal together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we fasted, we prayed, we have sought your face, and we believe that you've moved. I believe there's still more yet you want to do, but we're so grateful for how you've moved in our presence. I believe that there are still more people that need to be saved. I believe there's more people that still have unconfessed sin. I believe there's more people that are still wrestling in their spirit. They're wrestling like Jacob. And I pray, Father, that tonight that this would be the most uncomfortable night of sleep that they have and that they are wrestling in a wrestling match with you like Jacob. And I pray that you would prevail in the morning. I pray that when the morning light breaks that you will have prevailed in their life, that you will prevail over their addiction to sin, over their infatuation with the world, over all these things that are keeping them bound and kept back from all that you want them to become and do. And I pray your blessing on this delicious meal in the hands that prepared it. We pray you would continue to go before us, put a hedge of protection about our church and about Premier Baptist Church as they've graciously let us use their auditorium. And would you bless this ministry. And Father, we believe one day you're going to give us a building like this for our own. And we pray, Father, that you would provide that. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.
0: We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com connect.